This is Jessica. And this is Kelly. And this is the Chasing Brighter podcast. Hi, everybody, and welcome to our book club. Today, we are talking about The Good Life, Lessons from the World's Longest Scientific Study of Happiness by Robert Waldinger and Mark Schultz. Enjoy. How's your stress levels today? Oh, Jess, I did my alpha stim this morning, um, which is my, I feel like my anxiety is really unusually high right now because of our kitchen renovation. Uh, and then, you know, reading the, this book, the good life, it made me realize like all my anxiety and all the things I worry about and spend so much emotion are so trivial. And I don't know how to make them trivial in my mind. So I think what set me off was the kitchen renovation has been going well up to this point and it's been good and it's been fun. And I'm like, Oh, this isn't so bad. And you're a month in. We're uh, two months in, we're two months in, and it really is coming to getting, it's to the point now it'll be about, by the end of this week, we'll be able to move back in the kitchen, basically. I mean, there's a lot of finishing thing. There's still more work to be done, but the main thing is I can cook back in the kitchen again. So it's been two months of me living in the basement cooking. Um, But so like the thing that's challenging is, so we ordered appliance a year, uh, we ordered appliances a year ago and the appliance install is seven weeks lead time. And so we had to pick a date and I didn't pick seven weeks. I picked eight weeks. So I thought, well, seven weeks might be aggressive. I knew we had vacation mixed in there. I picked the date eight weeks out and our GC who we've worked with for other projects is actually our third project with him. Um, you know, they don't like to they don't like to commit to a specific date, but everything we've been making really great progress. And it seemed like that was going to be the thing. Um, but I felt like in the last, they come in hot and heavy and they're always there and they're doing a lot of work. And then as it gets later and later, they just less and less. Cause they probably start another job. Right. Cause they're trying to keep their like pipeline going cause they never stop working. And anyway, so he was coming in like once a week or twice a week and then other, you know, he's got his, plumber, electrician. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're all coming in and out. So the GC is not doing a whole lot of anything. And I don't think he does. So the person that we work with doesn't do a whole lot of anything else. He just coordinates and he has great relationships with other people, but we're getting to the final stretch. And so we picked, Brian and I have done everything we can to not be the bottleneck, right? We're going to need, a, you know, appliance handles to install in the appliance. Okay. I'm literally in the shuttle in Cancun calling the store to place an order to make sure we can get appliance pulls ready for when they deliver this week, you know? So it's like everything Brian and I are doing, like nothing to get in the way. And then um, we ordered stone. We had the stone guy come out. Um, Anyway, maybe that started off too, because I did write the stone guy a hot check because I moved money around to the wrong place, which created me having a notification from Chase Bank that my check was returned. <laughs> and I was like, that was last week. So that was probably that began my downward spiral. Brian was yeah. like annoyed, but like whatever, you know, then that starts my own like self-compassion where I'm like, I can't manage anything. <clears throat> but then like we get, I get a call on Sunday from the GC being like, I just got a call from the stone guy and 
um, the stone is too much moisture in it. And it doesn't look like we're going to be able to get the countertops in this week. And they told me they had to have countertops in before appliances were delivered. And so I was really annoyed that he told me that because we've been in direct contact with the stone guy who was like, everything's fine. Everything's fine. He's an amazing guy. We absolutely love him. He's awesome. Stone guy said it's fine. Contractor said no. Yeah. So my initial thought was this makes sense because the contractor, he doesn't, he doesn't want to stress out about anything. So he's going to say, ah, you know, we're not going to get those in. Uh, Maybe, you know, see if you can push out the appliance date because, you know, we really want to get the countertops in. And I'm like, we can't push out the appliance date. Like, I don't know if we can, I don't think we can. And so I hate having difficult conversations. I hate telling people what they don't want to hear. And I was so emotional and I really kept it in check. And I was like, listen, I'm very disappointed in this information. And I said, I have a lot of anxiety because I don't, it's my understanding that we can't move this appliance date installation date. It has to be this date. And I don't want to wait another seven weeks. Um, so we're gonna have to figure this out. And he's like, well, um, you know, he, then he's like thinking out loud over the phone, which is really annoying. Cause guess what? I'm not a carpenter and I'm not a contractor and I don't know how things work. Just figure it out. It always works out on HGTV. <laughs> so, so I was really mad and I'm like sitting in the parking lot of like whole foods because I also had like spent two minutes looking for a parking spot. because it was really crowded. And I was probably like, Oh my God, why did I even come to whole foods on a Saturday? That was, or Sunday. That was stupid. Um, and so I was like, well, I'll call, you know, I'll call the appliance company to see if I can reschedule the, the date. Um, and I'll let you know. He's like, well, we're going to come. Oh, and my, my van's broken. So we're not going to be able to come on Monday. We're going to come on Tuesday. So then my, my, my anxiety was at an all time high. I need things to work out the way they need to work out. And when they don't, I flip out and it's stuff I can't control. This goes back to the book talks about the fact that we spend so much time on the things we can't control versus the things we can. So I'm really looking forward to being 80 at this point, because I know I'll have better perspective, but now I'm in my, my midlife. I am at the height of controlling. That was the thing that was fascinating about the book. So anyway, I know this is a long story, but I called the appliance company yesterday and guess what? Their next date, May 11th. Now, although that is my birthday, I do not want appliances then. And so I was like, I'm not waiting another four weeks for appliances. So, so can the appliances be delivered and just sitting in the middle of the kitchen or what? Well, yeah, but then the contractor doesn't want to install them because they're, yeah, but that's their problem. They can install it. He doesn't want to. No, but is it? Yeah. Well, so then I'd have to reschedule the guys to come back to do the install. So anyway, he, I was, I know I ended the call and I was pissed and he had, he just texted me right away. He was like, keep the date. So I called, even though I called to try to move it, I can't. So I talked to him yesterday. Anyway, I know it was push comes to shove. And when people really end up getting pushed and I really gave them that hard time, they're figuring it out, right? The stone guy came last night. They put the sink in. They're laying the stone today. Like they weren't going to do that before because they're all super duper paranoid about moisture being inside of the stone, which they said then was a really low risk. And I'm like, I don't know these things. How do you know when people are telling you crap to make it convenient for them or when they're legitimately telling you something that you believe? Right. That was kind of where I was at too, just being frustrated with the whole thing. Yeah. Anyway, 
So I think it's the, you know, the pit of despair of a renovation. And um, if we're recording this, then I can revisit this and be like, oh my God, you worried for like absolutely no reason. We had, I don't know if we talked about on the podcast, but Dominic's birthday was the end of our renovation. And it was, we had every single thing ready, but we were waiting on the appliances being delivered. And then they um, brought the wrong appliance. Oh, yeah. And it was the wrong, it was not my fault. It was her fault. It was a letter off because now there's black stainless steel and regular stainless steel. And so they brought in black stainless steel. And um, I would say when there is installation, because we were having a range, a double oven, and a microwave installed, they have like, we did stainless steel, so they have like pieces of stainless steel that they come like and they frame in. around the mm-hmm. whole thing. So it looks like it just fits perfect, but it's, they have different sizes and stuff. So I was super, super pissed. And then if I would have had them reorder it, it would have been like six weeks to have an oven. And then we were coming on a Thanksgiving and Christmas and all the things. And so what I did is I found that like Home Depot had the fridge. And so the difference would be when you go through these higher end appliance dealers you have like a lifetime warranty and like white gloves like white glove service anytime you have an issue you can call the place that you went to and they take care of it so i was giving all of that up by ordering through home depot and it's still in home depot was like three days um the same oven yes exact same oven and um the guys were like your house is different because your kitchen's closed off right but my kitchen was by this point totally open and you're seeing the guys every day and you're talking to them every day and they knew that i wanted the oven in by Dominic's birthday and all were like, oh, and so I was like, can you guys install the oven? You know, can you do it? And so we had them, they delivered the oven, they delivered into the garage. And then um, they came, once it was delivered, I texted them and said, it's here. And then they installed it and just charged me like $100 or something or $150, $100. But I was like, can one of your guys come over and do it? And they were like, we can do it. Um, Cause I'm, I know I'm not like, <laughs> it's not like hundred, but I'm like, can you just like, just like plug the oven in? Can someone just come? Because they had to lift it up because we have a double oven over a drawer. So clearly it wasn't anything I could physically do. But it was like, can't is it that hard? Can someone just come plug, you know, just plug it in? Well, <laughs> I mean, that's there's a whole separate drama with our... I'm just saying they're like, no, we need a an oven person or whatever. And I'm just I, like, but anyway. It, well, I know it's very frustrating. I can see why, like, um, it, I, I might change my mind but i definitely see the benefit of like not building at this point right or like having somebody i just i think there's a lot of variables with this reno one is that we were working with a designer up until this point and then we don't have that buffer because she's had a baby and like keeping her baby alive so um, you guys are was, managing the project. Like yeah. when we had our kitchen done, we did nothing. Like we had to do a lot of meetings and make a lot of decisions, um, but we didn't manage the project. And I've managed a project before, and that is more stressful because you have I, to be I in hate, the know. I hate stress. And mm-hmm. I need to figure out how to like, if I could not be stressed out in these moments, I would be much more effective. But if we can tie it all into the book... Right. If we start talking about the book. Yeah. Let's start um, talking about the book. So they talk about facing 
the difficulties versus avoidance. Those who avoid difficulties versus facing them head on fare much worse. So everyone who faces up, like everyone faces obstacles, but those who have a support network or who are able to get through them uh, are able to get through them and know what to do. So it's all about a support network. And so when you want to minimize, avoid, or compartmentalize it, you're doing the opposite to help you. So it's like, instead of trying to do all these things to avoid your anxiety, they say, just face it and allow yourself to feel the feelings. Mm-hmm. And so one of the stories, and we can kind of get into the background of the study, but one of the stories I loved was the story of Abigail versus Lucia. So they both found a lump in their breasts. Abigail decided not to tell anybody and it wasn't a big deal and do anything about it and ignore it and put her head in the sand. And Lucia immediately told her husband, she called her adult children and she made a doctor's appointment and um, Abigail died and Lucia ended up getting treatment and surviving. And it was, it was breast cancer for both of them. That's crazy. Yeah. Very crazy. And so it's just like, facing it and engaging your support system. So when you were just saying, I don't know, like it sounds like maybe your go-to is to not tell anybody and try to figure it out yourself. No, I call Brian and complain. Um, And so, I mean, Brian's been really great. I think the good part about this is I do have a good support system with Brian in particular um, getting through this. And he's so busy with work that he thinks a lot of this stuff is just like noise and not a big deal. And so I, that's what I need right now is that I need Mm -hmm. somebody to be like, this is not a big deal. Our kitchen is going to get done when it gets done. And he was sort of like, you know, I would like it to get done sooner than later, but it is what it is. And it's very true at this point that, you know, it's not a big deal, but I just want it done i think that doesn't validate so like if wes comes home and is crying because he gets an f you saying it's not a big deal doesn't make his feelings go away um so i feel like the work maybe i'm wrong so my example right now of why i'm stressing which is just the dumbest thing ever is high school softball so i've made a commitment starting yesterday to not talk about it and I talked to Jana, our Reiki healer, about it yesterday, not about softball, but that I call it like getting wrapped up in humanity. And I told her that I was really wrapped up in humanity and having a difficult time letting things go. And so that's my new thing. And so it's kind of like instead of like, I guess, with the renovation, instead of like asking yourself uh, or telling yourself, I've got to get over this. This is dumb and stupid. It's kind of like, well, why is this triggering for me? Or why is this bothering me? And that's what I'm doing with softball. Like, why am I so bothered? And why am I so triggered? And so for you, you're saying it's triggering helplessness or like a lack of control. And so it's like, what's that about? And then how can I move toward acceptance and let it go? And it's like, for me, with the whole softball stuff, it's like, why am I so angry about it? Why? You know what I mean? And it's like, what's going on there? And how can I work through it and let it go? I visualized this morning that like emotional weight I feel with it and like the tightness in my chest, that anxiety, I know it's anxiety is it's like letting that go, you know? And so I just need to, I, I think for me with this is I would feel so much more freer without that emotional weight I'm giving it. Right. And so yeah. I'm trying to let that go. I think that's, you know, working with Janet, even on doing meditation, when you're in those moments where you just, 
I feel it lighter, right? You just feel like the, the weight goes away. And so I think today I did a lot of work on that. And even this conversation maybe will help, but I'm hoping by the end of the day, I will feel lighter yeah. about it. But it's a, it's a, it's a process. And she told me just by the way that the energy is volatile and crazy right now. And that checks with my clients, with myself of just things being crazy. Also, and I, and I want to tap into the study for a second. And then I want to, I want to say something about, so basically the book that we read is about this study that originated in 1938. Okay. Um, it started uh, in Boston where two researchers chose 200 Harvard sophomore men who they thought were going to have a successful future. Um, at the same time, there was another study of a lawyer and a social worker where they cho chose 450 boys who were living in inner city Boston, kind of in the tenements of Boston, who were not delinquents. And they wanted to know what life factors prevent delinquency. So the studies began separately, but they joined very early on to become one study. It has maintained an 84% participation rate over 84 years, which is incredibly high for a longitudinal study. This is the longest longitudinal study in the history of the world and is continuing to go on. And they do, they are aware, the authors are aware that the original participants were all white men. Um, and so in order to try to make it more relevant to today and to everyone, they've cross-referenced other longitudinal studies and talk about them a lot mm -hmm. in the study on here was a study of women here is a study of whatever and also how the study has now become more more diversified um with uh more genders um more race and ethnicities um and not just you know kind of heterosexual people but you know um trying to have more lgbtqia plus people in the study that's just kind of how it's naturally and organically progressed so, so that's thing, fascinating i totally agree and i think the part and i'll try to articulate this well because i'm not good at this but my, my my intention is there which is what i found to be so incredibly profound is we love to read books and we love to read stories about people and a lot of those stories and books we read are all fictional and this research is about like people's real lives and like i love an epic novel i love a multi-generational novel and like, like the goldfinch yeah. And this um, this study is like real life tracking of people's lives and like what they went through when they were 14 and then they joined the military and then they got married and then they retired and then they had kids and their kids as struggles and their kids as lives and just every stage and just this sort of like culmination of every life stage and like where people are and, you know, the thing I thought was fascinating is where you and I are and all the kind of tr troubles and challenges we have is like midlife. We're, yeah, on we're in midlife. We're, midlife. Yeah, we're right. Mm -hmm. We're on level, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, it's like everyone's experiencing these trials and tribulations now in this midlife thing, but it because was, they, yeah, I found it so in a lot of ways, a lot of the stories were very emotional for me because I was like, it just pulled at the heartstrings. Like you just hear about people's stories and, to know that they were okay in the end. Everybody is okay. No, they the were end. not. Well, some of them weren't, okay. but some of them were. Most of them were. It, it was like, I don't, I would say, I, I would say it was pretty even on who was unhappy and who was happy. And that's how that you could compare. So you could hear this one person's life. So they, and, and just to tell you what they did, every two years they mailed a survey 
every five years they they got complete medical records and every 15 years they went and interviewed those the, the subjects and they were able to share the names and stories of some of the people so they would say this is the happiest person of the study and this is the unhappiest person of the study based on interviews and reporting and so I would, so, um, you know, if you were just going to totally summarize the entire study and just pull out right away a few sentences, it would say the simplest way to sum up the 84-year study would be that good relationships make us healthier and happier. People who are connected to family, friends, or neighbors are healthier and happier than their contemporaries who are less connected and more isolated than they want to be. And so those help people us have live shorter longer. lives. Yeah. Yep. And a study has yep. shown that one in four Americans identify as lonely and people who are isolated and lonely live a shorter life. People who are more socially connected are at less risk of dying any year of their life. So it's not an age thing. It's not like, oh, 84 year old lonely people die. It's no, no, if you're lonely, you're more, if you're isolated, you're more at risk of dying, period. Any, any age. So that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say why it, it makes a sense, like they really get into attachment a lot in some of the stories. So the one mm-hmm. story of the guy who um, was very strange, he was living like on a trailer 200 miles away from his wife. He was married, but he said, he, and he, he he was like very unhappy, but he reported being very close to his children and he did not want to get a divorce to hurt the children, but his children lived thousands of miles away. Um, he did not visit his children or see his children and um, had contact with like one person a day. And if you look at his history, um, when he was born, his nine-year-old sister helped deliver him. Shortly after his birth, the father put the mother in the sanitarium, very unclear why, in a sanitarium. And so the nine-year-old sister basically raised him as a baby. Mom came home, had a connection with the mom. Then the dad put the mom in the sanitarium again. And I don't know. And then the dad died. And while the mom was in the sanitarium for life. And so he was adopted out and lost contact with his sister, Rosemary, who he had the connection with and he bonded with his adopted mother but after that there was no connection so you can look at for him for safety and survival connection was not safe and so that was really sad Mm -hmm. that went through the rest of his life of not wanting you know of just not being able to be connected to people so um but then there's the terrible but then there's the flip side of the great stories right about Mm -hmm. um you know people who young men who grew up with you know the story of the guy whose dad walked out when he was young and um the mom and the siblings had to kind of make ends meet all everybody worked and contributed to the household um they sent him to school and then he eventually dropped out and just seemed like he had a rough rough going in the beginning and then joined the military became very effective didn't respond to the survey for many years because he was like traveling the world in a military post and left a you know led a very fulfilling life later in life um because he you know had the experiences he had and he had i think to your point about connection right he had his his sisters and um, his mother continue to be an important part of his life. And they, they even talked about the fact that he married later in life and how, you know, everybody in a lot of ways is on their own path and their own journey. And, you know, not everybody has to hit these certain milestones at certain parts in their life because every aspect of your development has to be fulfilled eventually. 
I thought that part was interesting. It was too. on time versus off time in the life yes. cycle. So he was off time. Yes. Yeah. And that, that doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. Right. And sometimes I feel like we get caught up with that as well. Right. About you need to be married or on have time. kids or all those things on time instead of, you know, letting, um, letting it happen when it's ready. Yeah. And then there were people, I mean, there were people who did have a traumatic childhood. It wasn't like they were not connected to family necessarily, but were able to find connection with a life partner that helped them continue to be successful. Yeah. It was interesting to me, like they compared Leo and John. Leo was mm-hmm. the happiest person in the study. John was the unhappiest person in the study. So they both were Harvard graduates. Um, John and both kind of came from, from affluent families. They both served in the war while Leo was gone in the war. His father died and he always wanted to be a writer. And when he came home, the mother found out she had Parkinson's. So he had to give up his dream of being a writer, became a school teacher to help provide for all of his family. John came back, didn't want to join the family business, became a lawyer um, and was one of the most successful people in the study. And so what I found so fascinating was they asked people they asked them they said a man feels good when blank and john responded he is able to respond to inner drives and leo responded he senses that his family loves him despite everything so what are your thoughts on that that john the unhappiest most successful man in the story said that a man feels good when he is able to respond to inner drives what are your thoughts on that it's it's sad, right? I mean, you. Um, I I think it's unfortunate because um, it was very clear in the study that you know John was John wasn't happy. What I what I also just to follow up on that. What is the other thing that really grabbed me in this whole book is that like you're seeing actual responses from these participants at different yeah. stages in their life, and these right. honest true like vulnerable right. of um what they're saying and it's like written right it's not like oh everybody they answered. were in cursive they had to go back and like look over their handwritten and cursive response everybody answered a on this response it's like their actual like what comes to mind right the fact that he basically was like whatever i'm able to accomplish versus being surrounded by loved ones well but i feel like it's like that would make sense you would think i'm unhappy let me do all of these things and achieve goals to make myself happy. Does that make sense? Like, I think from the outside, for a lot of people, that would make sense. Like, I'm unhappy, so I'm going to go do all these things. You have to do something. Yeah. Like your inner drive. Like I'm following my inner drive to be happy. I think that sounds like an, a valid point. Right. But then Leo is like, he senses that his family loves him despite everything. So what I pull from that is he feels loved unconditionally. Yes, absolutely. I would say that John is probably not a talking an achiever. That sounds so like an achiever, right? Oh, like you're sure. worthy based on accomplishment. And Leah was saying you're worthy based on um, being accepted by others. Anyways, I just thought I just really thought that was really fascinating because I do see um, in my practice a lot of people who are incredibly successful right but struggling with fulfillment and happiness and so it like just goes to show you it's it's just it's about connection right leo didn't have money leo was a school teacher and he continually um 
said no to um, promotions because he enjoyed being a school teacher. So there's well, no way it, he made a lot of money. It talk, they talked about the other study that they kind of linked to that, which was like what a 2010 study about like how much money. So the need for money and, yeah. and happiness and like what that threshold is. And they talked about like $75,000 a year for a household was like the number that, that once you had that, people thought that if you had that, you'd be, once you had that amount of money, largely you had everything you needed. Um, and that, but people who even had less than that were happier, were happy, were per capita happier, um, because money doesn't bring happiness. Right. But hands down, when people say what would make you happy, people say money. Yes. All the time. And there is another study that a woman did um, on, I don't know if it was Asian refugees or immigrants, and it was um, people that were able to be successful and get through it and be happy were people that had one stable adult in their life. So they went back through and compared their study to that study and found that to be true, that the people that were successful had one stable adult in their life. So that's Mm -hmm. fascinating. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought it was fascinating. There was when you talk about the life cycle, they had a like, kind of a section about teenagers. And it said, uh, I don't know, I put in my notes, like the book also explores the importance of connection and role models for teenagers. Um, as you know, the original intent of a study was to see what prevented youth in low income areas from being delinquent. And they found the connection with adults, their parents, and even siblings to be critical. The balance between allowing an adolescent to be independent, but also be there to support them was really pivotal. So that was interesting. As I have a teen and preteen in my house. You know, I agree. Linking to that to what I thought what I loved was the section on social media. Yeah. And, you know, the title of it even was don't scroll engage and like really kind of using social media um, as a positive thing. Right. Mm -hmm. So it was talking about when you are using social media, does it fill you with joy? Does it give you, does it energize you or does it deplete Deplete you? you? And Mm -hmm. if it depletes you, it's not for good. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so it was about, it gave a lot of tips on what to do about social media. And um, I think that's helpful just with teens in particular, or like kids when we're working with them on social media and like social media isn't evil. Right. Um, Obviously we're recording a podcast, so we like social media, (laughs) But yeah, um, it's the fact that how, you know, using it for good. Right. And that it's not going away anytime soon. And well, so- I think that I think both parents, both all ages need to notice how you feel when you're scrolling. And I think we need to pay attention that research after research after research supports that social media can be positive if you are commenting interacting and if you are just looking you feel worse after and so if you're yes. if you're engaging in it cultivate it and then you yes. know it has positive benefits but how does it negatively impact children during their formative years and the research is unclear as to whether the social skills you develop online can compete with those you develop in person 
Right. And so being in the same room as a person, they just talk about um, human touch and physical proximity have emotional, psychological and biological effects. Well, and they went through, you know, that link through COVID, right? They actually had grabbed some insights about during the shutdown and how um, just that people were like, what's the skin hunger? Is yeah. that what it was? Yeah. You know, where people just crave like just being touched by another person and just having that personal connection um, was an important factor. And I think I liked the tip. So the book was full of a lot of great tips. And I like the tip that, that they said, set aside distraction-free time with your social relationships. So maybe um, what you can yes. do is they said, just have phone-free dinner. Or try to have a day where no one has their phones Um, or look that that way you can have um, more at like an improved connection with the people in your life. Yes. You know, and I loved the other tip that said um, periodically and they gave a chart, a, a blank chart to fill this out, but write the top 10 connections, like the people that you interact with the most, and then look at those relationships and explore, do these relationships energize me? And if those relationships energize you, how can you show appreciation to that person? Um, if it's not a very energizing interaction or relationship, can you make that relationship more energizing? Um explore what to do with relationships that are energy depleting. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like cleaning house and it's like, Hey, I notice I want, every time I see this person, my emotions are depleted. Is there a way to make it more energizing? And if not, you know, what can you do? So I really liked that recommendation of consistently kind of reviewing your, the energy of those relationships. There was an excerpt in the book I thought was really fascinating and um, related to that, which is it talked about the present moment is large and spacious if we allow it to be. Even when it contains sad and scary experiences, this moment includes so much more than the content of our minds. The sense of being truly alive comes with giving our attention only to what is happening right in front of us to grab hold of sensations, the feelings of our bodies, the things we see and hear, the presence of the people who are with us and using them to make a hard left out of thinking about other things and places and to emerge from the tunnel of our own minds into the vastness of the present, the only place anything or anyone really exists. Yeah. They talk a lot about John Kabat-Zinn mm-hmm, and he's yeah. the one that kind of brought mindfulness um, to the States and his quote, do you remember that? Like his quote was in our, the book that we read self-compassion, like instead of trying to surf. control the waves, yeah. learn how to serve. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is, I think really profound for me and my, challenges well i think what it reminds me of um is we get when i say loss in humanity i am so wrapped up in my own shit and you're so wrapped up in your own shit then how can you be present for the people in your life and so you know we lost um our friend mary um teresa who was on the podcast unfortunately her sister mary passed away a few weeks ago Um, mary was really just an incredible 
um, just incredible human, um, only uh, 52 years old. And I'm going to her memorial. It was like insane. So she is, she was a crusader. Um, one of her sons was bullied and um, no one was responding appropriately. And Mary became a huge advocate and she is um, not solely, but one of the people responsible for Haley's law here in Nevada, where we have bullying laws and procedures and systems set up now for CCSD because of Mary's advocacy work. Um, Mary literally they told a story where she literally gave her jacket to someone who was homeless and cold. And she literally just took up her jacket and was like, I could buy a new one and gave it to her. And, and, you know, Mary was just like so giving and so wonderful. Mm -hmm. And it's like, where was I? And Mary's last few Mm. moments, where was I the last six months, the last year of Mary's life wrapped up in my own shit, you know? And it's just like, okay, I have these people in my life who do energize me, but am I showing appreciation for them? Am I engaging with them? Am I scheduling time with them? You know, they talk about change your schedule to spend more time with relationships. Yes. Because people at the end of their life, wish they would have spent more time with their loved ones. And so to me, the death of, my friend, our friend, um, has made me realize like WTF am I doing with my time? Like what is happening? So it's like for you with the kitchen, I mean, you know what I mean? It's like if one of your friends dies tomorrow and you spent your day, like looking at countertops, I mean, you know what I mean? It's just yeah, like, yeah. you're like, what the hell, you know? And so it's like, how can you be more present in the moment trying to purposely be with your loved ones and spend time with those who energize you? Yeah, I, I love that. And, you know, when I was reading that, you know, part of the book, I thought about how I really have tried to make make 2023 um, a year of connection. And I've reached out to, from from a work perspective, former colleagues, maybe we can use this as a segue into the work, work environment topics too, with work relationships. But, you know, I work, um, aside from, you know, our chasing brighter um, efforts, my other company, I work independently a lot and I work on teams, but I don't have like, I work remotely. I don't have people every day. And so I was really feeling that loneliness. Mm -hmm. And so I really tried to reach out to former colleagues and I've had a fantastic time just reconnecting with people. It's never too late to reconnect with people. And, um, you know, in the book, when it talked about the different tiers of, of friendships, right? Like intimate friendships, um, people you call to cry on their shoulder, um, close friends um, that you, you know, you enjoy sharing laughs with and and have common interests and then your casual friends and just thinking through those for myself and really trying to reconnect with, you know, people who I worked very closely with and I just lost lost touch with, which has been really uh, fun and it energizes me. It energizes me because I think what it also makes me realize is you, I have a lot in common with, with other people too. It just feels, it feels good when you, it's part of that, like fighting the loneliest thing where you feel, you know, that, um, you're not alone. Yeah. And other people are in the same boat as you, even though you don't see them or talk to them every day. It was fascinating. Again, I don't know if they just made up a case study or I don't know if they made that up. It was actual case study of that woman that was at work. You know what I'm talking about? The woman that was 
there was a woman and she was at work and she was just dumped on all the time with work mm-hmm, and her boss mm-hmm. would cut it early and she stayed over mm-hmm. over uh, two to three hours every day just to get stuff done. She would come home and they would already have eaten dinner and she loved cooking but never had a chance to cook dinner with anybody and she came to work one day and she heard this guy who had a cubby next to hers who she didn't really um ever talked to kept sighing and she was like what's going on he was like it was in a car accident and my car doesn't work now and it's gonna be way too much to fix it kind of drives and my roommates gave me a ride but i don't know what to do and she was like oh my gosh my husband's a mechanic bring it over and like we can do it super cheap for you like we'll totally take care of it and then they started talking he was 15 years younger than her and she thought they had nothing in common and she started talking about how slow this program was at work and he was like oh let me fix it and he ended up saving her hours and then she ended up leaving work early that day and then they got to talking about ways that they could improve efficiency at work and it was just like making that one connection mm-hmm. oh and then he brought her home brought her fresh sourdough bread the next day and she was like i didn't know he was a baker and just the one connection how it improved her quality of life had her leave work early set better boundaries be home for her family more and so it's just like looking at that um and and you're right it's just like with so many people working remote now you're not you're not going to get those daily interactions and so then you're going to have to create them yes yeah you know i we did over COVID. i had a group of colleagues that we had a weekly talk to talk about case studies and stuff and I, it wasn't just necessarily because of COVID, but it happened during COVID. and i really missed that and i wish we could all get back together we all have very different schedules right now so it's difficult to make work um but i love that like i'm going to you mentioned alpha stem we didn't really talk too much about alpha stem but basically alpha stem is a device um that uh you can you can get from a, a provider in the states and it helps reduce anxiety insomnia and depression um if you clip up to it it's cranial electrotherapeutic stimulation and so um i am actually going to an alpha stem lunch on friday and that is how i connect and i am really excited about it um and they're they're not very often maybe we'll have more but like that's a way to connect by going to a business dinner one time ended up making friends with three people who are my friends now so you know um we may not feel like going to those things but if you're a solopreneur um you know putting yourself out there sometimes does help create connections and like those connections are important for instance anytime i need help trying to find a referral i reach out to those three people and they always have really incredible referrals for me jess i've done the same thing i attended a webinar back in february on a software application that i work with called hubspot and it was i'm a partner but i'm one person and i joined it because i was like i was slow and i've just got to do this and they put us in a breakout group during this webinar and it was we just had to like go around and kind of do a roundtable intros and it was all women who were entrepreneurs and most of us were just one woman shows but we were really interested in this technology and getting involved in it and it was so random and so and we we're all at different stages but um we are we're a tribe now and we meet once a week once a month um to kind of connect and share ideas and talk about what we're trying to do and where we're going and really kind of be each other's support um so yeah i agree and it's one of those where you put yourself out there and you never know what you know what what is in store and sometimes it's a sometimes it's a bust 
but sometimes it's not and you're getting something out of it and it's but there is something from that all connections have benefits and so they had a study of people where they were like okay you're gonna go ride the train you know people commute on the train and they're like yes. you said if people talk to a stranger you said if people don't talk to a stranger and none of them wanted to talk to a stranger and the people who talked to a stranger reported a better mood than those that didn't. So even if you don't come away with a long-term connection, just interacting with others has benefits. Yeah, that was on the L. It was a University of Chicago study. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it made me think about um, riding on an airplane, right? I used to yeah. travel a lot by myself and just you strike up a conversation with somebody and you just kind of keep. I still don't want to talk to somebody on the airplane. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's nice. I still don't want to talk to somebody on an airplane. I bet you like, have. What would, what would enter? Oh, I have. Oh, I have. Yeah. But it's like, what would, I would say I'm probably part of the study and I'm wrong, but it'd be like, what would energize me more? It'd be like, oh my gosh, reading a book or streaming a show because I'm never alone. <laughs> and, uh, but, but you're right. I probably would report a better mood. Um, but that also reminds me of, the book that we did for our book club in January on how to be well and the importance of yes and it totally lines up like all of these like the bible buddhism all of these ancient religions Mm -hmm. have quotes about the importance of the whole person and the whole being and the importance of connection for our well-being and remember some of this report they're getting they're getting medical records Right. And so John, who was really successful, um, had a slew of medical and health issues. So that's so fascinating, like isolation, loneliness, poor health. That's just fascinating. So I know we're coming up at a wrap up. I wanted to talk about a couple more things. One is the it talks through the wiser model, which is a model of reacting to emotionally challenging situations and relationships, relationship events. And it and I think we'll talk through this more in the blog post and really go through the diagram. But I wanted to talk about it because yesterday I my anxiety has been high. And so I'm not the best parent. And I was making dinner and Wes, my oldest, had disappeared and he's been coming into my office watching TV, whatever, doing stuff on his own when he isn't, I, I've asked him to do something else. And so I was making dinner and I looked down the hallway because I live in the basement and I went and I saw that my office door was closed and I assumed it was Wes. And so I yelled, Wes, turn the TV off and get out of my office. And he, I could almost cry for like such an asshole. He opened the door to the laundry room and he was doing he was doing the laundry i mean he was doing dishes yeah sorry we're gonna have to redo that no we don't you can be vulnerable you can be so i felt like such a jerk he's never washed the dishes (laughs) he's never and so i was like he was like so mad at me and i was like i'm sorry this is unexpected behavior i didn't know you were going to be washing the dishes but like i obviously need to use the wiser model because i was, was mad like, at you oh yeah i seriously hurt his feelings i think he thought he was doing something nice and here i'm like screaming down his throat right right um i my uh preteen 12 year old doesn't like me right now just so you know kelly part of that is just not that he did anything, but like, like I was helping with this ancient China report and I was reading the rubric and he was just like yelling at me that I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't understand. And he printed a picture and it had buildings in it. And I was like, it shows you're supposed to be doing ancient China. 
and there's <laughs> skyscraper in this diorama picture and he was like oh okay well mom do you think i can go on google and find a photo from ancient china do you think they had photos back then mom <laughs> and i'm like well do you think we could like whatever it would be like you just understand you don't understand you don't understand you don't understand and then justin walks in the door and justin's like hey there's like i read all the things and it says ancient china um so why don't you just like kind of color in those buildings that's a great idea dad i'm gonna do that <laughs> what? you know what i mean and then i was like tom do you think you could like help with the unload the dishwasher you know it's just like he's just giving it to me giving it to me giving I, it to me that's how wes is and eating so my then it's right like now. it's also like you you dump on me emotionally all the time i think you know the important thing is then like like okay so wiser is watch interpret select engage reflect so reflect yes. right so you watched you interpreted wrong you selected the the wrong thing and you engaged, but it's like reflect and be like, oh my gosh, you know what, Wes, I am so sorry. Uh, you know, I think it's important to show vulnerability to kids and that is supported. And even they talk about this here, those who are vulnerable with other connections, right? There's more intimacy. So to be like, I am really stressed about you know, I'm really stressed about the remodel and I, you know, when I get stressed, sometimes I have a shorter fuse and um, I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much, you know, giving him a hug, physical touch and just kind of moving on. You know what I mean? But it's I like, did that. Yeah. And, okay. And he's holding a grudge. He's still pissed <laughs> off at me for something else. And then like he went to bed and then I was like, hey, buddy. Because, like, I'm assuming, again, I thought 12-year-olds, yeah. like, shake it off, right? So he's, like, all the time. pouting in bed. And I was like, hey, buddy. <laughs> I, like, I do it all the time. And it's funny that you're saying it, that. Is everything only else okay? Like, is there anything else going on? And he was like, no, it's just you. <laughs> <laughs> it's your face and your whole being. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> so then I was I like, like, okay. You. Um, I'll go back to Becca. Yeah. At least Becca loves me. Right I now. know. Well, I think it's her age because it's like Gabby's past that. And then I was just the other day, Justin and I were having a discussion and it was like something stupid, like our opinion on something. And Dominic was just like, I agree with dad. <laughs> He's so team dad right now. And he was like, everything dad is saying makes sense. <laughs> It's like, you know what I mean? It was like, dad and so I was thinking their day. I was like, he's so team dad that if I were going to say anything, not even like negatively about their dad, but let's be like, oh, you know what? He probably got out late or whatever. And he'd be like, dad wouldn't be late. Dad, you know, and I'm like, okay, okay, yes, I know you love dad right now. Got it. Um, but we all make mistakes. Again, I just think it's like looking back when we were kids, um, what our father have said, I am really sorry about that. Here's what's going on with me, and I'm going to try to improve. Yeah, no, yeah. No. And so that's what I go no, back that's to. True. And, um, I also think just to go through the other two tips I liked, yep. keep a gratitude journal about your partner. Yes, love that. Um, yep. When you and your partner and what they call the stuckness, which throughout the life cycle, you get in this thing called, they were calling like the stuckness, um, is that you can step out of those yep, routines and relationships. So do mm -hmm. shake, shake it up, um, plan something different with your partner. And then finally, just like establishing, I found the research on this fascinating, establish regular family dinners. Children who have a regular family dinner have a higher have higher self-esteem better grades lower drug and alcohol use and a reduction in teen pregnancy that's crazy that's fascinating yes totally fascinating that's a very interesting fact yes yes and so it's like and it, i don't think it doesn't say nightly it didn't say nightly it says right. regular family yes. dinners if you can invite other generations of families other you know people who are older that could you know have another thing so the the closer you are to end of life 
the less you give a shit, right? About these tiny things like you're talking about. You that's why grandparents are more relaxed about the kids because you're not sweating the small stuff. Yeah. Because you're realizing your life is coming to an end and you're trying to be more mindful and be more in the present. And so to have that influence over your kids, if it's an older neighbor, older grandparents, aunts and uncles, nay, you know, whatever, um, having that influence on your children is really and really impactful. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole section right on family matters. Um, it goes a lot deeper. Also, we talk about just intimate relationships, like your relationship with your partner and how how it navigates. And it was just fascinating, even how that relationship evolves and changes with people over their lifespan. That was yeah. pretty cool. And I would say my only complaint against this book, and it's my complaint and all the free search is when they talk about family matters, there's no tips for people who um, because they talk a lot about how important it is to salvage family relationships and to not sweat the small stuff. But there are times, right, where we cannot have a relationship with our family. There can be drug abuse, alcohol abuse. Let's say you were abused, molested. You know, there are family members that we can no longer for, for us. We cannot be healthy and happy mm -hmm. with our family and our life. So I would have liked more tips on how to create a family of choice. I would have liked to hear more about that. So if they could, you know, add a new, new chapter and just, um, you know, talk about how to cultivate a family of choice, I would have really appreciated that. That's that's an interesting, interesting perspective. You know, it talked about, you know, in closing, they, you know, for basic education, we talk about the three R's of reading, writing and arithmetic. And, um, you know, it suggested right that there really should be the four r's and adding relationships um as the the fourth r um because it talked about you know early education is meant to prepare students for life and they believe that you know relationships are just as important um as the other items and how identifying and expressing emotion is critical in connection mm -hmm. yes yeah if you want to know more about this book as well, um, Kelly found that the author, Robert Waldinger, has a really great TED Talk. Um, we'll have the link in the show notes. We'll have the link on the blog post. But you can check that out, too, um, to get more of an idea of their research as well. Yeah. And there's also the adultdevelopmentstudy.org. And we'll definitely put all this as well in our blog post, um, which is the more detailed um, analysis on the study. Thanks for listening and joining us today. And don't forget to follow us on social media at Chasing Brighter or on our blog, ChasingBrighter.com.